Amen. Thank you, Miss Ruth and Miss Terry. Thank you, Erica and Alicia. You, you know, I hope you appreciate that you can look around and, and see some gray heads and some young people. Churches are not supposed to be all filled with young people. They're not supposed to be filled with all old people. Listen, the Bible has a timeless, eternal message that is for every generation. Amen? I pray God would raise up men of God with the courage to preach and teach it. Amen? Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, on Sunday nights we have been talking about Bible doctrine for quite some time. I have a series of 53 subjects that I have organized. We are tonight on the 35th of those. I'm in no hurry to get done. I want to give anyone who's interested uh, in more than just a basic understanding of Bible doctrine an opportunity to learn them. Listen, biblical ignorance has never helped any culture. It has never helped any individual ever. And my goal in this series has simply been for our church family to become people who understand why. Why we believe what we believe. Christian growth begins by learning what? What the Bible teaches to be sound doctrine. Christian growth continues and becomes mature when we learn why. And if you want to be strong in your faith, you need to learn why, not just what. And last Sunday night, we started a little three-week mini-series uh, to understand the great adversary of our Creator, uh, Satan. If a soldier knows who his enemy is and knows what his enemy is trying to do, and if that soldier has the means to defeat his enemy, that is a, an effective soldier. I want to be an effective soldier for Jesus Christ. And so if you want to be that or I want to be that, you and I must understand our enemy and learn the means that our loving Father has given us to defeat that adversary. Last time we took most of our time answering the most basic question, where did the devil come from? I mean, how can there be such an evil being when God, our Creator, is perfectly good? And we learned several things. We learned that He is a created being. He is a creature. He is an angelic creature uh, called a cherubim. We learned that He was and likely still is very beautiful. We learned that when He was created, He was not perfect in wisdom, but full of wisdom, and that that wisdom has become warped in His rebellion against Jehovah. We learned that He began as a very gifted being, in a very lofty position with special access to God Himself, we learn that He is linked with music and wealth and the wickedness in cultures like Babylon and ancient Tyre, as well as the worldly centers of our world today. We learn that He allowed pride into His heart because of His position, His wisdom and beauty, and that He fell. Despite all that God had given Him, uh, it was not enough. We learn that his end is certain, that he is headed for the pit, and then ultimately for the lake of fire and brimstone to be tormented forever. And then we began to consider the names by which the individual uh, named Lucifer is called. Remember, we learn a lot about our God, and we learn a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ when we study the names by which 
He is called in the Scriptures. And in similar manner, we learn a lot about the character of our great spiritual adversary, the archenemy of our God, by the names by which He is called. And we closed out just covering one of them where He is called by Peter a roaring lion seeking whom He may devour. And we encouraged one another to be sober and vigilant to draw nigh to our Savior because the name of Jesus is the most powerful name in the world. There is no name higher or greater than the name of Jesus. Now tonight, as we continue to answer the question, what is Lucifer like? What are his tactics? What is he trying to do? How can I defeat him? By what names is he called? We continue along that line of thought, and I pray God would help us to know our adversary. I want us to be effective soldiers, effective parents, grandparents, Christian workers, ministry leaders, that the light of Christ might shine through us and give us victory over Satan. If you're able to stand, if you would stand tonight, please, in honor of God's Word. Tonight we do the second part of our message that's just called Satan, the great adversary of God. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, he says here, but the younger widows refuse. For when they have begun to want, wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. By the way, he's referring to widows being taken into the financial care of the church. Verse 12, he says, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And with all, which means at the same time, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. Thank you, might be seated. Tonight we begin our thought first with the idea that Lucifer is called the adversary. Uh, did you see it there in verse 13? Now under verse 14, uh, says, give none occasion to the adversary. He is not just a adversary or an adversary. He is the adversary. Uh, by the way, uh, we see the real motivator behind the uh, idle women gossiping among themselves. That's the subject there. Uh, and by the way, it's too bad we don't often see the real source behind tattling and gossip and being a busybody. Uh, Satan is the real source for that kind of stuff that goes on. And here, the idleness became breeding ground for those kinds of things. In fact, he calls him the adversary there in verse 14 and verse 15. He says, for some are already turned aside after Satan. Now, the name Satan means adversary. Uh, 56 times in our Bible, the name Satan is used to describe the archenemy of God. The word adversary means opponent. Opponent in a contest, a conflict. A dispute. Satan is the adversary of Jesus. Uh, he is the adversary of anything that's going on that's good and right. 
Uh, Lucifer first appears by the name Satan in 1 Chronicles 21.1 when he provokes David to number Israel. He was and is the adversary of the nation of Israel. The last time the name Satan appears is in Revelation 27, 20 verse 7 when he is loosed from the pit to lead a worldwide rebellion against the city of God and the people of God. From beginning to end, he is the adversary of God. He is Satan. Hear me when I say it is futile to be an adversary to an eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient being like our Creator. But Lucifer's wisdom has become twisted in his rebellion. He is such a rebel against rightful authority. His hatred for his Creator runs so deep, the bitterness of his heart has so infected that his thinking that he continues to be an adversary to God even though he knows how it is all going to turn out for him. He is an adversary to God. He is an adversary to the work of God. He is an adversary to the Lord's churches everywhere. He is an adversary to all that God defines as good and holy. He is an adversary to the people of God. He is an adversary to the nation of Israel. His adversarial relationship with God is behind the irrational hatred of men like Hitler and the German people who mercilessly killed over 6 million Jews. Satan is behind all of that. It is his adversarial relationship with God that is behind radical Islamic terrorism. Listen, there is no rational thought behind someone killing innocent women and children in the name of a God and in the name of fighting against Jewish people or some nation they consider to be Christian. Listen, it is important that you and I understand that Lucifer supremely hates God. He hates God more than he hates us. In fact, he only really hates us because God loves us. He only really wants to ruin our life because God has a plan for every life that is in Christ. He is the adversary to the Bible. He's the adversary of people being saved. He's the adversary of people hearing the truth. He is pleased, Lucifer is pleased, when we are complacent, spreading the message of Christ and grace. He is pleased when we pay little attention ourselves to what God has to say. He is the bird who snatches the good seed out of the heart in the parable of the kingdom that Jesus told before it bears fruit. It is by the name of Satan that Lucifer came to God in Job 1.6, seeking to hurt Job, who was the most righteous man on the earth. Fourteen of the fifty-six times the name Lucifer is mentioned by the name Satan are in the book of Job. And in the book of Job, we get a glimpse to the kind of adversary that Satan is to the people of God. He hated Job's faith. He hated Job's family. He hated Job's wealth. He hated Job's jobs that he provided for people. He hated Job's influence for good in his family and in his community. He hated everything about Job. He was Job's adversary, and he is your adversary and mine. He is the great adversary of God. He is the adversary of your marriage. He is the adversary of your home. He is the adversary of your moral purity. He is the adversary of everything that is good and decent, 
both in the church and in the world. He is the adversary of you finding God's gifts in your life. He is the adversary of you using those gifts when you find out what they are. Hear me when I say, thankfully, Christ did not intend for you and I to live in fear of this great adversary of our Creator. Thanks be unto God that we've been told in 1 John 4, 4, that greater is He that lives in us than He who lives in the world. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit who lives in every true believer is greater than the, quote, spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience in Ephesians 2, 2, which brings up a great question. How do we as Christian people defeat Lucifer in this role as Satan? In this role as an adversary to God and as an adversary to all that is dear to God? That's a good question. How do we defeat him as Christian people? Here's number one. Stop thinking that anything you do for God or good is going to be easy. You see, when you think anything you do that's good or anything you do for God is going to be easy, your expectations are wrong and you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, we would have come to you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Hear me when I say it's not supposed to be easy for you and I to live for God. It's easy to be saved. Jesus Christ paid it all. Like they sang, He shed His precious blood because of the grace of God so that we could have forgiveness of sins. It's easy to be saved, but it's not easy to live for God. It's not supposed to be easy to raise children to be godly in an ungodly culture. It's not supposed to be easy to do spiritual work and ministry when we walk around in this flesh in an ungodly world. Listen, when you and I really understand that life, and especially a life that counts for God, is going to be difficult, then you and I will quit less things that we should keep doing. How do we defeat Lucifer in this role as Satan? We stop thinking that anything we do for God or good is going to be easy. Here's the second way we defeat him. We begin to realize who our real adversary is. Say, what do you mean? Uh, We're too often angry at the pawn instead of angry at the hand that moves the pawn. You see, the real enemy is not liberalism. It's not common core curriculum. It's not the educational elites who refuse to even allow college students to hear the opposing views of their leftist agenda. Listen, the real adversary is Satan. The real enemy is not the person who's giving your child a hard time. The real enemy is not the person who's giving you difficulty in ministry. Listen, we're too often focused on and angry at and upset at the pawn, and we forget who the real adversary is. Much of modern day liberalism and government is contrary to biblical values. But the real enemies are not pawns like Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer. Listen, the real enemy is Satan. He's the adversary. They're the pawn. Hollywood and its warped values is not really the enemy. They're the pawn. Satan is the adversary. And when we realize who the real enemy is, then you and I will begin to fight the right battles with the right weapons. How do we defeat Satan in his role as adversary? 
Go next, please, in your Bible to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. He said, Brother Wally, he's not my adversary. Yes, he is. If you're saved, he's your adversary. He doesn't want you to follow Christ. If you're not saved, he's your adversary. He doesn't want you to come to Christ. He will point out every flaw in every witness just to make sure you don't listen. How do we defeat Lucifer in his role as Satan? Thirdly, we stop trying to face him in our own strength. Notice what it says in James 4, and we read this verse last week, verse 7. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Notice that twofold direction. You submit to God, and you resist the devil. You don't just resist the devil. You don't just submit to God. You do both, and he will flee. In a moment, we'll get to how you resist him, but that's coming up later in the lesson. Listen, our Creator limits Satan in the lives of believers. Our Creator protects us just like He protected Job from Satan doing anything more than what God knew Job could take. And though anybody who knows the story of Job would agree that what happened to him was grievous, none of it was more than Job could take, and all of it was turned around in the end for good by God. Hey, Satan meant Job great harm. God turned it around for good. See, thankfully, God does not leave us on our own. If you are a Christian, then the Spirit of God lives in you, and greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Listen, Satan is the one enemy that Jesus does not want us to love. Though we are to love the pawns that he uses. See, for victory against our spiritual adversary, submit to God, resist the devil, draw an eye to God. Listen, Satan has no fear of you. Uh, he has no fear of anyone in this room, but he is afraid of God. Please stop trying to first fight the problems in your marriage and your home first in your own strength. First, begin to battle the real adversary on your knees. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your children. Pray about the situation. Please stop thinking that big government is the enemy or the liberal arm of the Democratic Party or the old guard of the Republican Party. Listen, the real enemy is Satan. He is our adversary. Everyone else are pawns in his hands. I would to God that everyone within the sound of my voice would be more sober and more vigilant. And that we'd stop being so angry at pawns and instead recognize the adversary moving them. Let me ask you tonight, are you seeing the real adversary to God? Are you seeing the real adversary to all that is good and right? Are you fighting the right enemy? Are you fighting that enemy in the right manner? As a Christian, are you drawing nigh to God? As a Christian, are you resisting the devil? Or as a Christian, are you playing 
So many people play in Satan's backyard and they wonder why he messes so much in their life. You you haven't really allowed yourself to grasp that He wants to destroy you. He is your adversary and an adversary of everything good in your life. Don't play with Him. But it's not just that Lucifer is called Satan, the great adversary of God and all that is good and decent and right in our world. Secondly, please go in your Bible to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Lucifer is not just called Satan, the adversary of God. Secondly, Lucifer is called the tempter. Not just a tempter, the tempter. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him. He said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Did you notice in verse one that the spirit of God led Jesus into this situation? Satan wanted to hurt Jesus. God wanted to expose something about Jesus. Secondly, notice in that text that he left him alone for 40 days. And if you fasted for 40 days, the very first thing that's going to be on your mind is food. And it's no surprise that the very first temptation that the tempter had for Jesus was in the area of food. By the way, he could have turned stones into bread. There was no big deal for him. He turned nothing into everything. Then notice how Jesus defeated him in verse 4. He said, it is written. He could have used his own power. Jesus was the creator clothed in flesh. He had his own authority. Every word he spoke was the word of God. And yet, he defeated Satan in a manner that every child of God can. He used the Bible. Now, there are many tempters in our lives. Lucifer is the tempter. In fact, he's called that again in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5. It is in the role of the tempter that he first appears in Scripture in the Garden of Eden. Most of us are familiar with Jesus being tempted here. We're familiar with him defeating Satan with the written Word of God. It's no surprise that Lucifer uh, here, the tempter, attacked him in his weakest and most vulnerable point. By the way, Satan gets very few victories in anyone's life attacking us where we're strong. He knows exactly where you and I are most vulnerable. He knows exactly where our weakest, and he won't bother with you or your spouses or your children's strength. He will start because he doesn't care. He has no remorse. He will start in the most vulnerable place. It's exactly where he started with Jesus Christ. By the way, tonight I hope you know where your weaknesses and most vulnerable places are. If you don't, you're not paying enough attention to yourself to properly defend yourself. And if you don't know where they are, trust me when I say Satan knows where they are. 
Imagine the pride and arrogance to think he could be so clever as to tempt the Son of God to do something sinful. It's pretty obvious the pride we talked about last week that originally brought about his fall in heaven, it had not dissipated at all over the millennia. I mean, he was emboldened to tempt the Son of God because he had been so effective even with the angels of God thousands of years earlier. Keep your hand there, but go back in your Bible to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 takes us back in time again like we began last week to Lucifer in the earliest days. In Revelation chapter 12, it's in symbolic form. He says in verse 1, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head, a crown of twelve stars, and that is Israel and the twelve tribes that came from Israel. Verse 2, She, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, paying to pain to be delivered, that's Israel and her Messiah, Jesus Christ. Verse 3, there appeared another wonder in heaven, built a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. That's Satan. Verse 4, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And notice that Satan, Lucifer, in his role there in his initial rebellion, fooled one-third of the angels. One-third of the stars of heaven. And then he sought to devour the Christ child as soon as it was born. You say, how do you do that? Well, how about with a Roman Caesar that made a pregnant woman travel nine months pregnant to Bethlehem? How about there being no clean, sanitary place to give birth but an animal stable? How about a man named Herod who ordered all the children under two years old born in and around Bethlehem murdered? In verse 5, it says, And she, that's Israel, brought forth a man-child, that's Christ, who was to rule all nations. With a rod of iron, her child was caught up into God and to His throne, and that's where Christ is today at the right hand of God. But for tonight, one-third of the stars of heaven why was he so emboldened to try to tempt the Son of God? Because there in the presence of God Himself, he had been clever enough and smooth enough and good enough in the way he presented what he had to say that one-third of the angels, people who had heard Jehovah God with their own ears, seen Jehovah God with their own eyes, they followed Lucifer in his rebellion. That's how he would be so bold. By the way, he was also so bold because he had been very effective with all other human beings for 4,000 years. He was effective with Adam and Eve. And he knew that Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man, and so he thought, well, maybe I can talk the Son of God into sinning. He failed, of course. Had no success tempting the Lord Jesus. But hear me when I say he is a master at getting people off track. He's a master at making something that is harmful seem appealing and harmless. He has no limits to the things he will use to tempt us. He's the tempter. Listen, I hope 
you understand that God does not allow any of us to go through life without being tempted. And that temptation is in, in itself is not sinful. But giving in to temptation is. I think oftentimes when we think about the temptations that we face, very often we give Satan too much credit. Go back in your Bible to James once again. We were in chapter 4 earlier. We'll go to James 1. Some and perhaps even most of the temptations in our life, they come from our own flesh. A lot of times we blame things on the devil, and quite frankly, we blame them on the devil because we don't want to be honest about the corruption of our own hearts. Notice what James here says in James 1 verse 14. He says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Notice, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. By the way, if you're ever trying to remember that, think about LSD, the devil's acid. Lust, when it hath conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sometimes we give him too much credit when actually neither he nor any of the spirits who follow him had anything to do with what we give into. The temptations come from our own flesh. As I said, I think by and large we hate to admit the depravity of our own heart, and that's one of the reasons we're too careless for things we allow in our life. And we often attribute things to him that really just come from us. There's a big difference in God testing us to build and expose what's good in us and Satan tempting us to destroy us and hurt the good name of Jesus. By the way, this is a good time to ask a basic question. What does he know about me? That's a good question. By the way, likely depends on who you are. He has no access to your soul if you are in Christ. If you're in Christ, your soul is secure in Christ. That does not mean he doesn't have any access to your life. Your soul is secure in Christ. Listen, uh, he works in people's lives and messes them up all the time. Listen, he's not omniscient to know everything about us like God does. But he does know your weaknesses and mine. And He is going to tempt both you and me in the areas of our weakness whenever He decides to get involved. Now for some people, because your parents or your family was especially ungodly, He has some awareness of you. For others, because your parents or your grandparents perhaps or you decided to stand up and put your head up above the crowd a little bit and say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. Listen, He knows about you as well. He knows your weaknesses. He tries to exploit them. He knows who to tempt with wealth and who's not inclined to that kind of temptation. He knows who to tempt with lust and sexual opportunity outside marriage and those who are less likely to fail in there. He knows who to tempt with pride and praise from your peers and who's not likely to fall for flattery. 
He knows who to tempt with fame, who to tempt with complacency, who to tempt with friends and family, who to tempt with success and promotion at work, who to tempt with difficulties in ministry. Listen, he knows just like he went to Jesus at his weakest point and tempted him there, he knows exactly where to tempt us as well and what works best. He said, Brother Wally, you saying that stuff, it scares me. By the way, if you're in Christ, you have no good reason to be afraid of Satan, but you have every good reason to respect him. So Brother Wally, that scares me some. How can I defeat Lucifer in his role as tempter of Christian people? Go back a few pages of 1 Peter chapter 5. You may remember earlier we talked from James where he said in chapter 4, uh, submit yourselves uh, to God and uh, draw an eye to God and resist the devil. Remember that? It's gonna, we're going to get a little extra insight in how we resist him. Because if you and I want to defeat him as the tempter, we need to first learn the word of God. It is our greatest weapon. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Notice there's not a period there. It says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. How do we resist Satan? We resist him steadfast in the faith. Remember how this doctrinal series started 35 messages ago? That that little phrase, the faith, refers to key Bible doctrines? Remember, earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints? Listen, your greatest weapon and my greatest weapon in resisting the devil is to know the Word of God. To know the promises of God. Listen, you and I can't even recognize whether something is a temptation or an opportunity if we don't know the Word of God. It's a shame that so many people who have come to Christ as Savior, they have humbled themselves to believe in the Lord Jesus. They have humbled themselves to confess their sins and call upon Him to have Him in their life as Savior. But yet they remain ignorant of the things of God and they don't grow in their faith. And consequently, they are an open season target to the tempter. I believe Satan is getting God's people increasingly ignorant of what God has said. And I believe that's his greatest success in America. So how do I resist him? How how do I defeat him in this role as a tempter? Here's the second thing. Be honest about where you're most vulnerable. By the way, that changes as seasons of life change. See, where you're most vulnerable today might not be where you were most vulnerable a year ago. Do you know where you're most vulnerable? Do you understand your weaknesses? You need to be honest. Listen, if you're going through a season struggling with your spouse or one of your children, I mean, mark it down. He will attack there. It's not like he's going to say, ah, oh, they're struggling in their marriage. I'll, I'll go easy on them there. No, he's, he, he's going for the juggler. If you're going through a season struggling with a church. Listen, if you're here any length of time, you go through a season struggling with me. 
You might not even like that this morning I talked about skinny jean wearing stool sitting lead elders. That's where he's going to attack you. If you're struggling with somebody here, that's where he's going to attack you. Let me mark it down. Some well-meaning, ignorant person is going to come up to you and say, do you know what such and so said about you? Uh, By the way, when anybody comes to you and says that, you ought to say no, and I don't want to know. If you're going through a season of success in your career, a season of failure in career, listen, that's where he's going to attack you. Anything he can do to get you off track of following Christ and becoming what Christ made you to be, he will attack you there. Listen, we need to be honest. It's one of the hardest things to do. Honest with ourselves. Honest with God. Remember, we don't confess our sins so that God would say, oh man, I didn't know that. We confess our sins because it's good for us to be honest with ourselves. And it's good for us to be honest with God. Are you honest about your struggles with lust or pride or hatred or bitterness or anger or depression or gossip or criticism or whatever your struggle may be in this season? You see, when we fail to be honest, it opens up a door to the tempter, which gets us to our third thing. How do I defeat Lucifer in his role as the tempter in my life? Number three, stop trying to face and fight Satan in your own strength. We read about it earlier. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Draw an eye to God. He will temporarily flee from you. You see, our Creator limits Satan in our lives and He protects us just like He protected and limited Satan in Job's life. Here, listen. If you're a child of God, if you're genuinely saved, God never leaves you alone. You are never alone in this fight. By the way, if you're not saved, you are facing a spiritual adversary that you have no way to resist in battle. How can I defeat him as a Christian in his role as the tempter in my life? Go lastly in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Very first time I ever taught from the Bible, this was the Bible verse I used. I hadn't even been saved a year. It was a small church, and my pastor, uh, he said, we're going to have Young Man's Month in January, and he gave me and three other young men a Wednesday night. I can't tell you. I, I probably studied for that message. I'm not exaggerating. At least 40 hours. I, 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 I mean, every statement I said, well, is that right? Because I didn't know that much. And this was my text. And it's always been for me, and it always should be for you, one of the great Bible promises to us as Christian people. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, anything that you're tempted with, you're not the first one. 
Notice what it says in next. It says, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Did you hear that? Not because you're faithful, but because God is faithful, any temptation in your life is not above your load limit. Notice what he goes on to say next. He says, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Did you hear that? With every temptation God allows Satan to bring in your life, God makes a way for you to take it. How do I defeat Satan and his role as tempter? Look for the way to escape that God promised in every temptation. Listen, you may have to run like Joseph did from that loose woman. You may have to quote the Bible like Jesus did in the wilderness temptation. You may have to pray and sing praises to God like Paul and Silas did when them being faithful in ministry landed them a beating and in jail. You, you may have to just take it in the face by faith like Stephen did when he stood for Christ and he preached a great sermon and then they stoned him calling upon the name of Jesus. You, you may just have to stand when it seems like it is never going to work out for you like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did and they learned that even though they took it in the face and even though they were thrown in the fire, there is always a fourth one in the fire. Christ in you. Thank God our Creator never allows any of us to be tempted above what we are able. Thank God there is always a way to escape so we can have spiritual victory in, your, in my life. Let me ask you this. Are you really paying attention to the right enemy? Are you using the means God gave you to defeat that enemy. And though temptation may be common to man, none of us are ever forced to give in or fail when Christ is with us. The adversary of God is great. But our God is greater. Greater is He that is in you and me. And he who is in the world. Amen? Amen. You quietly stand.